PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board studying continues to be enjoyable, memorable, fun. Hashtag 10 out of 10 recommend. I'm joined today by a very special guest. We'll introduce her in a second. But for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes. You can test your knowledge on these topics. And you can complete our awesome airway module, which is free, available to everyone. Thousands have done it. You can go to our website for all this awesome, cool stuff at emboardbombs.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at emboardbombs. Got a really special guest today. She's a member of our kick-butt team on emboardbombs. Marlena Wasiski-Kuhn, Dr. Doctor as we call her. She's an MD, PhD, and PGY-1 at the oldest emergency medicine residency in the country. No big deal. You know, it's a small program. Been around. You know, you may have heard of it. University of Cincinnati. Thanks for introducing me. Happy to be here. Glad to be back. Marlena, we've we've mentioned you before. I know you've been on the podcast before. We talked about shingles with you as well as swallowed foreign bodies about a year ago. Um, but uh, really awesome to have you here. Marlena is the the mastermind behind our PR campaign and our Twitter growth and Instagram. So whenever you see some really awesome memes, really awesome gifts, really awesome learning posts, that is 100% her. So we really appreciate all the hard work she's put into the team. We're really happy to have her on board. Thanks. And uh, you have an awesome topic today that we are excited to talk about. The best part about this is, is that the hard work's already done. There is a online document and Marlena will talk more about that in a second, about where you can find the written content of what we're going to present today. But I want to hit the highlights of it. And this is such a board-relevant topic and both really excited to talk about it. One other thing I want to mention before we get going, I have the greatest coffee mug from the University of Cincinnati that I got on my interview day. Yeah, I know, I know the one you're talking about. It's extra big. Oh, it's huge. It's fantastic. And I remember how awesome it was. Uh, to go there for interviews. So really fantastic program. Can't speak any more highly about it than I already have. Let's dive into this topic. All right. We got a 47-year-old male. He has no past medical history. He's presenting to the ED with lip swelling that started about two hours ago. Patient reports he was feeling well all day until the lip swelling started. He reports eating at Chipotle just before his symptoms started. He was He's eaten there in the past with no issues, but he did try a new type of salsa today. He states he was actually upset uh, when they gave him a baby scoop of chicken in line. He made a very intense stare at the uh, line workers. And he was actually going to go home and post the photo on Yelp with the hashtags, where's the chicken, hashtag cheap Ole, hashtag should have gotten carnitas. He had two loose, watery bowel movements prior to arrival, and he has some diffuse intermittent abdominal cramping currently. He also noticed a puritic rash over his trunk and extremities and associated lip swelling. He denies shortness of breath, denies any lightheadedness or dizziness, and he otherwise denies any trouble speaking, trouble swallowing, tongue swelling, drooling, chest pain, or fever. So which of the following is correct? Choice A, epinephrine is effective in any type of angioedema. Choice B, bradykinin-mediated angioedema happens within the first six weeks of starting a causative drug. Choice C, ACE inhibitors but not ARBs angiotensin receptor blockers, cause angioedema. 
And choice D, histamine-mediated angioedema is the most common type of angioedema. Marlena, what's the correct answer? Drum roll. The correct answer is D. Histamine-mediated angioedema is the most common type of angioedema. Absolutely right. Sweet. So we're going to talk about a uh, pretty awesome topic. Uh, there is a handout on Ian Boardmom's just for anaphylaxis, but this is different, and we're going to find out why. Really can't wait to hear more about it. Why don't you first tell us about the document that you wrote uh, and presented at UC? Yeah, of course. So if you go to the Taming the Shrew, and shrew is spelled S-R-U dot com, you can just search for angioedema, and there's an article from August 10th called Swelling Out of the Blue, and it's about all the different types of angioedema and pretty much covers everything we're going to talk about here today and a little bit a little bit extra. Awesome. Awesome. And I've read it uh, before we did this podcast. It is a great summary. It rivals the amount of brevity we put into the Ian Bombs note. It's really good. So let, let's dive into that today. I want to hear all about angioedema. I want to hear about the different types. And this is going to come up in your boards. The boards love the C1 stuff. Uh, they're going to mention the bradykine and they're going to mention ACE inhibitors. So Go ahead and go into the details on this, Marlena. Shoot away. Right, of course. So there's a bunch of different subtypes of angioedema, anaphylaxis being one of those. And it's angioedema itself is similar to urticaria because both are transient swelling of the well-demarcated areas. However, angioedema involves deeper tissues, causing non-pitting edema of your dermis and subcutaneous layers. And it's most often seen in the eyelids and lips, sometimes going into the mouth and throat. And while it's not puritic, it may be painful. Okay. And so from what I've seen in general with angioedema, the, the chief complaints are all going to be, you could say, airway or upper airway related, right? Right. Most of the time they are, yeah. Other than, you know, general lip swelling, the chief complaints that can represent angioedema include dysphagia, dyspnea, change in voice, drooling, strider, or what the patient may mm-hmm. describe as loud breathing. But you can also see diarrhea and abdominal pain. Yeah, we'll probably talk a little more about the abdominal pain later because I've I read that in the article you wrote too. I thought that was interesting. But why don't we divide this up to make it easy for our listeners the types of Angioedema from a from a global you know forty thousand foot view. Right. So the easiest initial division that you can make is histamine or bradykinin mediated, and not only mm-hmm. is that going to help you on your boards, but it's also going to help you choose the right treatment in the emergency department. Allergic angioedema involves significant release of histamine, so we also call it histamine mediated angioedema. It's mediated by mast cells or IgE. And mm-hmm. that's in contrast to bradykinin-mediated angioedema. And bradykinin-mediated angioedema also has distinct subtypes. You've got your ACE inhibitor angioedema, which is one that is pretty commonly seen, and we'll talk about that in a minute. That's really caused by impaired breakdown of bradykinin. And then you've got the board favorite hereditary angioedema, where you have deficiency of a functional C1 inhibitor allowing for buildup of your plasma calocrine and overproduction of bradykinin. Yeah, just when you thought the compliment cascade would never be talked about again since medical school. <laughs> yeah, let's draw a bunch of arrows and A, B, C, 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 D. 
Yeah, let's name them all the worst names possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and there's like these subtypes of hereditary as well. Again, look at the document for more details on that. Right, thank you. So I want to focus for a second on the ACE inhibitor angioedema. So as I said before, this is due to excessive accumulation of bradykinin, and that accumulation increases vascular permeability at the postcapillary venules, causing that rapid edema. Interesting. Now, what about ARBs, uh, angiotensin receptor blockers? Where do they fit into this? Right. So the answer choice C, where we said ACE inhibitors but not ARBs cause angioedema, is wrong. And that's because ARBs can also cause angioedema. And there mm-hmm. has been some studies showing cross-reactivity between the two when it comes to angioedema as a reaction. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that is a commonly tested point I've seen is that obviously you can't do both. If you've had angioedema from an ARB or an ACE, you can't do the either one anymore. The other point that you're about to explain in a second is having to do with when patients actually have symptoms of angioedema from their ACE or ARB. You know, commonly the misheld belief is it's like an allergy. It'll start early on. But could you could you clear that up? Right. So while it is common for people to present within the first few weeks of taking the ACE inhibitor, it can Mm -hmm. actually happen even after a patient has been on stable therapy for years. So Mm -hmm. that's why it's really important to keep it on your differential in any patient on an ACE inhibitor or ARB presenting with angioedema. Are there any common triggers or is it just happens out of the blue or? So there are some things that are thought to increase this response. For example, stress, and that could be physical stress or traumatic stress or emotional stress that we can all relate Mm -hmm. to right now. It also is more common in certain patients. So for example, there's a higher incidence among women. There's a five-fold higher incidence in African Americans, and it's more common in patients that have a pre-existing NSAID allergy. Interesting. What is uh, worldwide? Could you break down the percentages? What's like the incidence of this worldwide? 35% of prescriptions written for hypertension are for ACE inhibitors. And when you do the numbers, that's more than 40 million people. So in the United States, we actually have numbers showing that ACE inhibitor angioedema is responsible for as many as 100,000 emergency room visits a year. Okay, interesting. And there's also this note about this post-TPA angioedema I saw in the article you wrote, and I actually read that somewhere else, forgot about it, and then it's one of those things you rediscover something and you're like, oh, shoot, I forgot about that. And (laughs) that's like anywhere from like less than 1% to 8%. It incurs within like five minutes to three hours after TPA administration. We're not going to talk too much more about this, but I just want to present a horror story, something that'll keep you up at night, which is keep in mind about intubating someone you just gave TPA to. (laughs) Yeah. And their airways swelling. And let's say you like, you know, have a traumatic airway. It's just, I can't even imagine. So uh, stuff from nightmares here. Um, It's the world we live in. (laughs) Right. And when you have a nightmare about a swollen, bloody airway, you can always check out our airway module to make yourself feel a little bit better. There we go. Perfect. Never taking a break from PR. I love it. (laughs) Um, Why don't we get more into the presentation of bradykinin-mediated angioedema and and how we tell the difference here uh, from histamine, because this is a critical distinction that people often fail to uh, recognize. Exactly. And again, if you want to look at more specific details for anaphylaxis, we do have that document on the website. But 
Keep in mind that since bradykinin-mediated edema does not involve a substantial release of histamine, it's not going to be associated with urticaria and therefore Mm. not meeting the definition of anaphylaxis. The swelling in angioedema is not puritic and does not produce a rash if it is bradykinin-mediated. Interesting. So what? um, this will probably be a um, huge pearl right here, what you're about to say, but what are the things you see as differentiating ACE inhibitor angioedema from histamine allergic angioedema, especially on the boards? This could be an easy board question right here, just this one. Definitely. So other than the absence of skin changes, know that it's going to have an evolution over hours, Mm -hmm. and that's a slower progression than histamine-mediated angioedema or anaphylaxis, which happens rapidly. Mm -hmm. It's also not going to respond in the classic way to the treatments for anaphylaxis. So it's not going to regress when you give epinephrine, steroids, and of course, antihistamines, because it's Mm -hmm. not a histamine problem. And then there's a board favorite clue that you may remember from step one back in the day, where... Oh, boy. A teenager presents after recent dental surgery with swelling of the hands and feet. And that's a trigger for you to think of hereditary angioedema or C1 esterase deficiency. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that was back in, you know, back in our day when uh, step one wasn't pass fail. You know, when med school was harder. (laughs) We had to walk to school in the snow. I I did. I took step one in the snow while walking uphill. (laughs) Backwards. Walking backwards uphill. Yeah. Uh, So what are we doing with the um, uh, workup wise? So involve a little bit of the history discussion, any particular labs you're ordering, anything like that. Yes. So you want to make sure that your patient history is going to include familial or personal history of any similar episodes. You Mm want to ask about their current medications, of course, any exposures to known allergens or physical stimuli, including new salsas from Chipotle or trauma, and (laughs) timing of the episode. That's going to be incredibly important because in order to treat the patient, you need to know how fast things are evolving. But remember that even though you're asking about family history, as many as one in four cases of hereditary angioedema occur without any family history. Interesting. Okay. If you want to draw some labs, because we know that always makes us feel better, you can do some <laughs> things for your uh, your colleagues down the road by getting a complement C4 level, as low levels are going to screen for hereditary or acquired angioedema. And you can pull a tryptase level, which will be suggestive of the histaminergic type. Whoa. I could easily see med students needing to know that for step one or step two. Let's get into treatment types. It's going to be different, right? So really the overall arching treatments, we could divide up into the histamine angioedema, the C1 deficiency angioedema, and then the ACE inhibitor angioedema. Let's go step by step and we'll, we'll wrap it up after that. Sounds good. So the treatment is going to change because the causes are changing, histamine Mm -hmm. versus bradykinin. So, of course, in real life, you're probably going to just typically administer the standard treatments for anaphylaxis in each because you don't want to miss anaphylaxis and sit around thinking like, 
hmm, maybe I should check their C4 level before I administer <laughs> any epinephrine as your patient has a huge swollen tongue. But yeah. you're going to you're gonna know that they're not going to be as effective for hereditary or bradykinin-mediated angioedema. So let's do anaphylaxis, histamine-mediated angioedema. Mm-hmm. This is something that you may not remember first off, but remove the offending agent. If the patient comes in with something on them that they are allergic to, you need to take that off, rinse it off. Mm -hmm. If they've got a stinger in, take it out. Don't just let it sit there. Hashtag take it out. (laughs) That's great. That's our new hashtag for the week. All right. (laughs) What are are the primary agents? Just to review, this is the same thing for anaphylaxis. Right. So epinephrine at your anaphylactic dose, you can give it up to three times before you would start a drip. Mm -hmm. Steroids methylprednisone. H1, H2 blockers, you got diphenhydramine, plus or minus ranitidine. You have the potential to use albuterol or racemic epinephrine in severe cases. Yeah, great. Let's move on to C1 esterase deficiency ones. This is the part of the people know least about this one. And there's some some strange drugs out there whose oh, yeah. names that I had to double and triple check that I was pronouncing correctly before I gave my grand rounds talk. Um, But remember that for any of those therapies like Acadabint, you're going to have to allow for the time for preparation, administration, and then 20 to 60 minutes for effect. So... Oh, boy. Exactly. And if you have a patient who you already have identified as having airway compromise, how comfortable are you going to feel waiting for someone to mix the drug up. Yeah, I'm going to go with a no for that dog. Yeah, it's a no for me. <laughs> so two other things that people have been talking about recently, uh, especially in the FOMED world, are fresh frozen plasma. So it contains enzymes that metabolize bradykinin, and because we can get it quickly in the emergency department, it's not super expensive. Uh, it is the favorite of some people. It also has factors that can worsen the attack. So... Hmm... That's awkward. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a, a, a theoretical risk. The other one that has been pretty popular recently is TXA. So I want to mention that this is based on a study from France with 33 patients. That's all you need. Yeah, just 33. <laughs> and also you only need to speak French because the article has not yet been translated professionally into English. And hmm. I uh, know parlez-vous français. I attempted to Google Translate this article and got some out of it, but it's difficult to understand if you don't speak French. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, take my word. I tried. But, you know, TXA, one gram over 10 minutes, that's uh, something that we may be hearing more about in the future. Yeah, I feel like that's just going to automatically gain traction because TXA is like the darling child of emergency medicine. Like... (laughs) That and ketamine, like ketamine and TXA, uh, I seriously, no joke, like residents and like nurses are always like, oh, let's just, let's just give that. And I'm like, I'm treating like a sore throat. Why am I giving that? They're like, it's, it's just, it's good. It works. Like <laughs> TXA and ketamine get so much popular publicity in emergency medicine. <laughs> it does. And, you know, I heard that when you order a Patagonia vest now that it actually comes <laughs> with a preloaded ketamine syringe in the front pocket. Fresh ketamine darts as well. Exactly right. (laughs) Name this uh, last crazy therapy here that actually could be on your test. Right. So a calentide 
It's a super expensive. It is very expensive. It's a calicrin inhibitor. Some patients will actually fill this medication at their own pharmacy because it's so expensive that most hospitals don't keep it in stock. <laughs> oh my God. And then it's it's brown bagged for those patients when they have their hereditary angioedema attacks. That's insane. Yeah, I remember one time in residency, one of these patients came in with hereditary angioedema and they brought this drug with them and they gave it. And I remember one of our ED pharmacists came up and said, I just gave the most expensive drug in the hospital to somebody today. <laughs> In the emergency department, not counting the chemo, of course, like in the cancer center, but like in the emergency department, you just don't give these drugs typically. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but that's one thing that, yeah, you're right. And, and calentide is uh, one of those drugs. All right. Last thing here. ACE inhibitor induced angioedema. What drugs do we have? So nothing. <laughs> Short answer. That's great. No. <clears throat> that's great. As a segue into our next topic, what really is the only management for ACE inhibitor angioedema for the most part? You've got your watchful waiting, and you've got your airway management. Absolutely. And that's really the case for all these patients, right? We save the best for last. This is where emergency medicine specialists shine the most. So tell me, kind of finishing up here, critical points about airway management for these patients. Of course. So I mentioned earlier that you really want to be aware of how fast things are evolving with these patients, because your crucial decision point in management is going to be if you need early aggressive airway intervention. 4% of patients with ACE inhibitor angioedema ultimately require intubation, and you do not want to miss those patients when you still have the time. Absolutely. So it's smart if you do a diagnostic NP scope early in any patient with signs or symptoms of oropharyngeal involvement. So anything that is posterior to the teeth. But Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that even a patient without externally visible angioedema might have significant supraglottic involvement. What are the big What are the big things you're looking for? The big things we're looking for when we assess the airway are those high risk patients. They can have significant voice changes or hoarseness. That's going to indicate laryngeal involvement. Mm-hmm. The inability to manage secretions. If they're sitting there holding a napkin, drooling into it. That's not a good sign. Yeah, drooling's never good. Yeah, drooling is never Unless good. Unless you're a baby. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's still kind of gross. <laughs> oh, it's gross. But <laughs> it's adults' gross, drooling but... should never happen. <laughs> they're, they're just learning <laughs> to manage their secretions. Yeah, exactly. If you exactly. suddenly forget how to manage your secretions, that is also a problem. And then rapidly progressing symptoms. If a patient says, well, this started yesterday, that's a much different story than a patient that says, this started 15 minutes ago. And they both look the same. Yeah, and you always got to be ready to intubate at that time. So when when you're doing these diagnostic scopes, um, be prepared to place a definitive airway. You know, have a tube loaded if you're really concerned about someone. Uh, You got to anticipate this is going to be a difficult airway. I would suggest if you're at a shop that has anesthesia on call and you're anticipating ahead of time, okay, this could get a little hairy, call them ahead of time. Remember at the top of every airway algorithm is call for help. Get someone that is professional with airways and always have the most experienced operator be prepared to intubate and always have a double setup. Yeah. And when we say double setup prepared, don't just have the crike tray sitting there. If you're worried about the patient, you prep the neck. Absolutely. Probably the biggest problem with doing crikes is making the decision to do a crike. From my own personal experience, I've done one in residency. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to tell a story actually quickly about the, oh, please. the first patient that I ever saw with angioedema. I was oh, on boy. a community, you know, 
rotation where it's just myself and the attending and I go see this patient who's a you know an older man he's been he's actually been on his ACE inhibitor for years and mm-hmm. he's coming in with his lips just a little swollen and he thinks that he got a bug bite so the chief complaint you know level 4 bug bite I go in the room and <laughs> he has big swollen lips he is holding a napkin in front of his face drooling he can kind of talk, but he's with his son because his son was like, you can't really understand my dad right now. His voice is very strange. Mm. Yeah. And even little med student Marlena was like, mm, I need to get someone else. So <laughs> I immediately went and got my attending who came in the room and immediately called ENT. And nice. that, that patient actually ended up having to go to the OR and getting a, a crike. So that was my, oh my gosh. very first angioedema patient. Yep. Hashtag triage process. Yeah. <laughs> Not just a bug bite. <laughs> Not just a bug bite. Level three visit turns into crike. <laughs> Minor care to OR. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Crazy story. All right. Let's wrap it up. You got anything else? Or are you good? I'm good. Just remember Great. to uh, check out the post on the Taming the SRU Shrew. absolutely and we'll put that link on twitter as you can find us on twitter or instagram we'll post on instagram too remember our handle is at embordbombs and we'll also put that article link on the embordbombs website so you can go directly there once we release this podcast Uh, just go to our website where this podcast is located and you'll find that link to the article as well drop us an apple review the reviews are really helpful uh we really appreciate if you do if there's a particular topic you want let us know in the review and uh that's all i got dr dr wasiski coon thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure thank you thank you (laughs) see you later